Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two spies secretly, saying, Go view the land and Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lay there. The translation we're reading says that they lay there, which means that they slept there. The reason they went to a harlot's house is because a harlot is the one person in town who will never ask questions. She actually did know where they were from, but they knew that they could go there without saying anything and that they could pay her to simply sleep there because a harlot will take your money even if you don't have sex with her. If you're willing to give your money and you just say that you want to sleep there, she'll let you do it because that just makes her job easier. She also happens to be living in the wall of Jericho, which is a really good place for them to stay because they can exit quickly if they had to run. They strategically chose her place to go to to keep it as much of a secret as possible, to be received for money without questions asked, and to have an easy exit. Two, and it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the land. Even though they weren't trying to give themselves away, you know how people, you know, pay attention to what's going on in their community, and they probably knew they were foreigners, and then they were able to surmise they're from the Israelites, therefore they must be spying the land, because why would it just be two men alone hiding in a harlot's house? 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, that are entered into thy house, for they are come to search out all the land. Everybody knows the whole story of how Israel left Egypt decimated, and now they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and now they're spying out uh, Jericho, so this does not sound good. And obviously, if they're spying out Jericho, it means that they're planning an ambush or something like that. The king sends to have Rahab release these guys to the king. 4. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yea, the men came unto me, but I knew not whence they were. Now, why would the harlot lie to the king, knowing that she could get killed? First of all, she's a good liar. Her career causes her to be a really good liar because men have slept with her who were committing adultery, fornication, whatever. Maybe even powerful men have slept with her. And she's had to keep secrets for all of them. So it's nothing to her to tell a lie. She's used to that. And she's used to telling a lie with a straight face. Now, why would she protect these Israelites? She wouldn't have much allegiance to her city or her country. And that's because she's well hated in the community. The women hate her because she sleeps with their men. She's somebody who's already ostracized because of her profession. That would naturally make her not really care what country she's in as long as she's treated well. It's nothing to her that the Israelites are coming to destroy Jericho. Maybe even she was forced into harlotry because of the economy and the culture in Jericho. You never know. Maybe she never wanted to be a harlot, but she has no allegiance and I can totally understand why a prostitute wouldn't. Four, and the woman took the two men and hid them and she said, yea, the men came unto me, but I knew not whence they were. She's telling a very believable lie because as a prostitute, she wouldn't typically ask a lot of questions about who people were. If they didn't want to tell her, she wouldn't ask because she doesn't want to offend her clients. To her, it doesn't mean anything to take in strangers. So that is a very believable lie. 
5, and it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark. You see, in a fortified city, the whole point of the gate is for people to buy, trade, and sell. People can come in, sell their goods, and then they can pedal back out and go to the next town. But at the end of the business day, when there's no reason for buying, trading, or selling because everyone's going home or they're going back to where they're from, then you need to close the gate for security purposes. At the time of the shutting of the gate would probably be somewhere close to sundown, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither the men went, I know not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. Now she's telling another lie. She's saying, they've already left my place. Why don't you go looking for them? Because I don't know where they went, but they're somewhere out there in the countryside. 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had spread out upon the roof. She is wealthy enough to have a surplus of flax for the winter. She's bought her harvest food. And now why is she sticking her neck out like this? Maybe they paid her extra? As a prostitute, you're already risking your reputation and your welcome in the community on a daily basis by sleeping with everybody's men. She's used to taking risks. It was very strategic for them to go to a prostitute's house because they could just pay her for whatever they wanted. They could pay her for a night of sleep. They could pay her to hide them. They could pay her to tell a lie for them. 7. And the men pursued after them the way to the Jordan under the fords. And a ford is a type of water body. And as soon as they that pursued after them were gone out, the gate was shut. This is kind of like a comedy thing because she told them to go out of the city and go look for these men in the countryside. And as soon as they leave, the gate gets shut. And when the gate is shut, it's shut for the whole night for security reasons, meaning those guys can't come back. But the people they're looking for are locked in the city. So this was really smart of her. Her two spies are safely in her house, locked in, and their enemies are locked out for the entire night. Eight, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof before they went to sleep. 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, unto Sihon and to Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Now she's talking about when they killed the two kings and took over the land for the three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the Manassites. They've heard the whole story of everything that the Israelites have been through. And she knows that they're going to win the battle. So she wants to be on the winning side. Now there's other stories in the Bible where people will betray their own city in order to be protected by the Israelites when the Israelites come to battle. And this is typical all throughout history. If you're smart, you will go to the winning side. She doesn't have particular allegiance and so she's very happy to be on the side that she knows is going to win the battle ultimately. In fact, she probably didn't get paid extra to hide them. This was her motivation because she's stating it right here. 11. And as soon as we had heard it, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more spirit in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She believes in the God of the Israelites. The God of the Israelites is a God of redemption which means he can redeem a harlot. And that's exactly what's going to happen to her. She won't be a harlot anymore when they take her out of Jericho. She will be freed of that life and she'll go on and live a normal life. 
12. Now therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that ye also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a true token. 13. And save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. This is one of the stories in the Bible that illustrates Christ returning for his church. One day Christ is going to come back in the sky and the angels will blast the trumpets. And then right after that, the angels will come down and they will swoop up the church, the children of God, the bride of Christ, and they'll take them up into the sky. In the next chapters that happen, we're going to learn how Jericho falls. And when Jericho falls, there's going to be a trumpet blast. And right after the trumpet blast, there's going to be a shout, which actually the Bible also says that when Jesus returns, the angels will blast the trumpet and they will shout. And then right after that, the Israelites, they're kind of playing the role of the angels in this story because they're going to go into Jericho and save Rahab and her family and pull them up over the wall and out of Jericho in safety. And then Jericho will be destroyed. And that's what's going to happen in the end of days. Christ will come for his bride. The angels will blow a trumpet. They'll give a great shout. Then the angels will carry his bride up to the sky to meet him. And then the world will be destroyed in the great tribulation. This story mimics it very well. It foreshadows it. Only Rahab's family will get saved. Her, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all of that. She doesn't have a husband because she's a harlot. And she doesn't mention children. So for whatever reason, she doesn't have children either. When Noah was saved from the flood, it was only Noah's family. When Rahab was saved from Jericho, it was only Rahab's family. And when Jesus comes back for his bride, it will only be the family of God who gets saved. The true followers and believers. 14. And the men said unto her, Our life for yours, if ye tell not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord giveth us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. 15. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the side of the wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. 16. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers light upon you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. She knows it's typical that when the king sends a posse out, they usually only search for three days, and then they return. She says, go hide in the mountains, because they're not going to look there. They're going to look in the plains toward where the Israelite camps are. So go hide in the mountains for three days, and then after that, they'll be back by then, and then you can climb down the mountain and go back to to the Israelites. 17. And the men said unto her, We will be guiltless of this thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt gather unto thee into the house of thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household. So now they're telling her how she's going to be saved. The same scarlet or red colored cord that she let them drop down out of her window by the wall. They say, you need to keep that cord there so that we can recognize it, that that's your house, and we won't destroy your house. Bring all of your family into your house because we're going to destroy everything and everybody else that's outside. So anybody who you want alive, you need to bring them into your house. Before we destroy the rest of Jericho, we'll take you out first. And that's what happens in the end days. The angels take us out first, then they destroy everything else. What does the red cord symbolize? Remember when Moses had to take a red scarlet cord and the hyssop and dip it in the blood and sprinkle it on the altar? And remember the hyssop symbolized the bitterness and sorrow of Christ's death on the cross and the cord 
symbolized the shame that he carried and his blood that was shed. The shame because when in the New Testament they wrapped him in a scarlet robe, one gospel book says it was a red robe, the other gospel book says it was a purple robe. I think the one who thought it was purple was looking in the dark because the trial did take place in the dark. And so the other person in the dark, it looked purple to them. But I believe it was red because here we have a red scarlet thread coming down from Rahab's house. And in the previous books of the Old Testament, Moses had to use a red scarlet cord when he was cleansing the altar and cleansing the people. So I do believe that Jesus was wrapped in red, not purple, but to one of the disciples who told their version of the story, it looked purple in the shadows and in the darkness, in the moonlight. We are saved by the blood of Jesus and by the shame that he bore on the cross. And that's what these cords symbolize. It's Jesus who is the cord hanging down from Rahab's window. It's metaphorical. And she has to bring her whole family into her house for their salvation, which means that we need to share the gospel with everybody to bring them into our spiritual house and bring them into our spiritual families that they can be saved. She told her family how to be saved. You see that? And it's my job and your job to tell people how to be saved. 19. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. They're saying, we're not guilty if any of your family don't come in your house and get killed, because we won't know who they are if they don't come in. But if they come in the house and they still get killed, then we are guilty because we will know which house is yours. We're going to protect everybody in your house, but we aren't going to protect anybody outside your house. And that's true of those of us in the faith. If we leave the faith and metaphorically exit the house before Jesus comes and go back to the world, we're not going to be saved when Jesus comes. And that's another Bible verse that shows you that, yes, you can lose your salvation. You can leave the faith. We've already come across two Bible verses so far in the Bible that show us that we can lose our salvation, and there's many more. The people who believe that you can never lose your salvation are flat wrong, because I can tell you like a hundred verses that say the opposite. 20. But if thou utter this our business, then we will be guiltless of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. He says, if you tell everybody what we're going to do, meaning that you're going to spoil our success, we're not obliged to save you. 21. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. She doesn't know for sure when they're coming back, so she just kept the scarlet line in the window the whole time. And that's true of all of us. We don't really know for sure when Jesus is coming back. So we need to keep Jesus in our life at all times, because he could come back any second. 22. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned, and the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. 23. Then the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had befallen them. 24. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, and moreover all the inhabitants of the land do melt away before us, meaning they are afraid of us, just as God had told the people, they will be afraid of you. And this means that the battle isn't going to be difficult. If the people you're fighting are afraid, they're a whole lot easier to fight. And that concludes Joshua chapter 2.